Yes, Lord, we do say, come Holy Spirit. This day of first fruits, the beginning of the greatest harvest, the gift of the perfect sevenfold Spirit of God sent out into all the earth, we say, come Holy Spirit. And with you, Holy Spirit, we cry as the bride, come Lord Jesus. We want to see your kingdom and we want to see you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You're the enabler. And so we say together on this Pentecost and on this national day of prayer, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So welcome everybody and thank you to our teams. We really, really, really appreciate you guys just so much. Uh, our hearts are full and we, we just appreciate, recognize what you guys are doing. We honor that. And then thank you those who joined us this morning to lead us in our shared response to the National Day of Prayer. And especially, uh, of course, to the evening congregation. Great to have you guys joining with us. And uh, although it's not a combined service, I did receive something from Pastor Andrew that I felt would be important to share with, um, from the classic congregation, uh, to share with uh, Explore and Evening. And so I received the following, Andrew messaged me and said that he received the following from an older person this week. The person wrote as follows, I was, I was in the line at about 7.45 a.m. at the grocery store that opened at 8 o'clock uh, for seniors only. And a young man came in from the parking lot and tried to cut in front of the line. But an old lady beat him back to the parking lot with her walking stick. And, uh, and so the young man was chastened and then he waited and returned and tried to cut in again. But two old men punched him in the gut, kicked him to the ground and rolled him back all the way to the parking lot. But this guy wasn't going to be deterred. So a third time, he stood up and he walked gingerly towards the line, keeping his distance. And then he said to them, if you don't let me unlock the door, you're never going to get in there. <laughs> so today we want to look at power. We want to look at the power of the early church, where it comes from, what it looks like and how to use it well. And of course, it's the day of Pentecost. And we know from uh, the early church in Acts that so much of this power is there. Pentecost itself has so much rich symbolism rooted deeply in the Old Testament all the way back to Genesis and takes us right through to the book of Revelation. And in chapters uh, 4 and 5, uh, for example, we see Pentecost represented there as the sevenfold Spirit of God being sent out into all the earth. And by the way, he, the sevenfold is this perfection. And there's three sevens. There's, there's, uh, there's seven horns and seven eyes of the lambs, which are the seven spirits of God or the sevenfold Spirit of God. Three times seven 
you know, all the others, of course, there's imperfection, it's half a seven, or it's this is missing, or something else is there. But when the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, is given to the church, it is three sevens. It is absolute perfection coming from the Lord. So as we look at power, um, make no mistake, and it is an incredible thing that power is exercised through prayer. And as uh, we looked at during the, 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 uh, the guided prayer, and one of the prayers we pray at this time is ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, equip them, mobilize them, and, and release them into his harvest field. And so I just want to say about the prayer, don't stop now. I mean that, don't stop now. We're not done. God is not done. This is the introduction, don't stop now. Now to explore, um, evening we continue with your series on the early church, and so I know this will be devastatingly disappointing to explore, um, but we have to put your series on hold uh, so that for a week we can be in step with the evening who are joining us. And, uh, and so as we come to look at the power of the church, it is of course God's power. It's God's power in His church. It's God's church. It's, it's the church of Jesus. And so when we look at this power, I mean, it is thoroughly Trinitarian. It is the power of the Godhead, the gift of the Father. And it's a direct result and climax of the life, example, death, resurrection, ascension, and enthronement of Jesus. And as Jesus is enthroned in a picture of Pentecost, gifts are showered on the earth, Ephesians chapter 4. And all of this comes to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who is sent out into all the earth. And so we read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is Jesus preparing his disciples for his ascension and what must follow. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that we've been exploring, as it were, in the evening series. So turn with me to Acts chapter 4, where we're going to see something of what this looks like. And there are many examples in the book of Acts. And the lead-in in Acts chapter 3 tells the beautiful story, and you might have to concentrate here, of a man who asked for arms and was given legs instead. <laughs> Memorably, Peter told him in all honesty that he didn't have money that day. He didn't have arms to give him, but that what he did have was God's power to heal. Notice Peter says, what we have, we're going to get, what I have, I give to you. Something's been given to the church that he is going to give to this man. Now, the episode ends, well, well continues, but in the middle, that leads to Peter and John spending a night in prison. You see, not everyone appreciates a powerful church. So we read in chapter 4 and verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, who was the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought in before them and began to question them. Now notice this. By what power or what name did you do this by what power or what name what name in other words what authority 
See, when we're looking at power, we are, we, it's always linked to authority. And these guys understood this. What authority did you heal this guy? How did you access this power? Because authority and a name in which derives, gives that authority is the means to access power. Power is how we access the authority, as it were. These things are interrelated. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today, notice this, for an act of kindness, this is kindness, this is love that was shown to this man who was lame, and of being asked how he was healed, in other words, this is love, this is kindness, this is healing, this is what power in the church looks like, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, and he has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118. Salvation, Peter declares, is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. And the story continues and, and the trial and the trial eventually ends in their release in which they prohibited to minister in this name, speak in this name and act in this power, in this authority. Notice their response. We jump to verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, in other words, to the church and reported to them all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer uh, to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations, and he's going to quote Psalm chapter 2, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one, or literally his Messiah. They continue their prayer. And, and the politics and the religion and the stuff of the day becomes part of their petition to God. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So these, <laughs> the people who were the people of God and the so-called people of God to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now notice this, that in the cross, the will of God and the power of God was not frustrated, it was demonstrated. 
Now, Lord, they pray, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice this is a repeat. It's not a one-off in Acts chapter 2. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And all the believers were one. Notice this impact, not just impact, but it's part of their power. It's part of what made them so influential. Listen to the ongoing description. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. But they shared everything they had with great power. With great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. Grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. Notice another manifestation of power, of the power of grace at work in them. There was no needy person among them. How did they do this? From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from them, the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to those who had need. And so we get an example. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the, the apostles called the son of encouragement. I mean, he just, he, just, he just picked people up and made them feel like they can carry on. And they can do this thing. He was called Barnabas, nicknamed Barney. And, and, and he was this son of encouragement. And he sold the field he owned, brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet. So let's dive in. What do we see over here? Firstly, the power of boldness. And what we see here is the name and the words of Jesus, the words about Jesus are just not negotiable. And these guys begin to speak the word of God. And in their prayer, for example, now they have just been threatened, thrown in prison. And they go, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And verse 31b. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. And spoke the word of God boldly. With boldness. Guys, we've got, to, we've got to recognize that there's something about the uniqueness of God. That is going to be demonstrated and proclaimed. And there is a boldness, yes, to act. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there must be a boldness to speak about the uniqueness of what God has done in the person of Jesus. And we so often worry that people are, are not going to respect that or they're going to misunderstand that. I came across an interesting article. It's a little, it was written back in 2008 by a guy called Matthew Paris. And it was actually published in the Times of London and then... Um, in several secular magazines, and, and Matthew Paris writes, uh, and his heading is, As an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. 
and I'll just give you the intro to the article. Before Christmas, I returned after 45 years to the country I knew as Nyasaland. Today it's Malawi. And the Times Christmas appeal includes a small British charity working there. Pump Aid helps rural communities to install a single pump, letting people keep their village sealed, uh, wells sealed and clean. So this reporter and this uh, went to see this work, and it's, he says it inspired him, renewed his flagging faith in development charities. But he says this, in traveling in Malawi, it, it refreshed another belief too. One I've been trying to banish all my life, but an observation I've been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit into my worldview, and, and has embarrassed my belief that there is no God. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution, listen to this, that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. And this is sharply distinct from the work of NGOs, government projects, international aid efforts. And he says this, these alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. And he goes on to describe how he used to applaud the, as it were, philanthropic efforts of the church. But could you not please just delete the faith, delete the offense of the person of Jesus, and just provide the help? But what he sees in that space is instead of bringing real change, it just creates a cycle of dependence. And it's only in the proclamation of the gospel as seen in the person of Jesus. And so he writes this, I would allow that if faith was needed to motivate missionaries, well then, fine. But what counted was the help they brought, not the faith. And then he says this, but that doesn't fit the facts. Faith does more than support the missionary. It is transferred to their flock. And the, the effect of that faith matters so immensely, I could not help but observe it. And he then goes on to describe his encounters with people of personal faith in Jesus. And, and no, they weren't ramming it down his throat, but they had a deep confidence in Jesus and the difference that this made in their lives. We must not be ashamed or confused by the fact that the power of, uh, of the church relies in digging deeply into the uniqueness of the person of Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us, and how he models how the kingdom comes. He is the pioneer of faith. And when we come to the person of Jesus, we find Jesus Christ of Nazareth is how this man stands healed. In chapter 3, they were, it, it, it is in Jesus' name and through faith in Jesus' name that he stands healed. So that brings us to our second point. The first point is the power of the church lay in its boldness. The second thing is the power of the church lay in its faith, the power of faith to do the works of Jesus, to get stuck into ministry. So even as they pray for boldness, verse 29, we read in verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. These things are woven together in their minds. These guys were totally up for healings and miracles. Remember this whole episode is brought about as a, from a clash with the authorities because a man was miraculously healed in Jesus' name. 
Now think back to Acts 3, at gate beautiful, or beautiful gate. Did Peter and John have guarantees? No, but they went for it anyway. So a couple of weeks ago, a family in Explore phoned me, and there was, there was one person with a high fever in their house, together with one or two other people who weren't feeling well, and, and, and there were serious underlying health issues. And the doctor was arranging for COVID testing. And they, they, they phoned me. And like my first thought, you know, just in truth was like, oh God, please, no. My second, much better thought was, <laughs> what would Jesus do? And I knew the answer. In Luke 4 verse 39, when he was confronted by a fever, he rebuked it. He told it, you rubbish fever, get lost. I don't know if he used those exact words, but nevertheless, he, it says he rebuked it. He, he like, he verbally spanked this fever and got it out of there. And so he rebuked it and it left. So on the phone, that's what we did. We did together on the phone. And believe it or not, that's what the fever did. It, it left. Did I have any guarantees? I was very careful to make sure that they understood I didn't have any guarantees. None of us do. But we went for it anyway. The power of boldness, the power of faith, and the power of love. If the one is the word of Jesus, the other is the works of Jesus, then this is the heart of Jesus. Verse 33 and 34, and God's grace was, God's grace was so powerfully at work. Other translations, so abundantly at work. There was more than enough grace. Notice the idea that when grace is abundant, physical need is met. And so when grace is powerful and grace is abundantly at work in all of them, there was no needy person among them. See, love looks like mercy and justice. And to deny justice is ultimately to deny love. And many of us love Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, which reminds us that we can come to God. We can even come boldly to God. And we approach our God who rules and reigns from a throne of grace. Oh, I, don't you love that picture? But we must equally accept and live out the costly image from Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8 that although he's seated and rules from a throne of grace scripture is very clear his scepter his iron scepter is a scepter of justice wrongs will be righted by our God and it's interesting that when this Grace and mercy and justice come together in this new community that's no longer defined by classism or wealth or other things. It, it releases the church powerfully into the generosity of sharing resources. So many societies today and in yesteryear, there was classism and there was castes within those societies and and added to that there's nationalism and almost a complete blindness to the distress of those who maybe come from countries or classes or cultures that are not our own and notice when the spirit comes he opens our eyes 
to people who are not like us, who don't think like us. And He opens our hearts and our resources are poured out for the sake, Matthew 25, of the least of these. We know that when we do it for them, we're actually doing it not just for Jesus, but to Jesus. And when we look at mercy and justice, haven't got much time for memes, they tend to oversimplify things, but I, I saw this one this week. The virus didn't break the system, system meaning the social and economic structures that define people's lives. We'll come back and talk about that next week. The virus didn't break the system. The virus simply revealed that the system was already broken. And the church is born into a system that is deeply broken. The Roman Empire with its classism and oppression, with its many, many slaves, and, and with people who are being crushed. And the church comes as a prophetic counterculture of love. And there is an abundance in the church. And the thing that's most abundant is grace. Now, I want to say this. Notice what is not required. You know, this week has just seen an eruption again of fear and anger over several issues. And these are not unimportant issues, but we just don't have to handle them with that spirit. And when you know that fear and anger are busting through, you need to know that we are feeling powerless. And so we want to take back control, especially of people and, and our strategy then to do that is that we demonize and shame those who don't agree with us. So I want to say this. Notice what is not required in the power of the church. Political power is not required. These guys didn't have secular power. These guys didn't have religious political power. In fact, they recognizing that these powers are the very things that are fighting Jesus. By the way, that's going to help us in the book of Revelation. And, and they do not have the power of control and authority to require compliance. That kind of political power, whether religious or secular. The other thing they didn't have, I mean, they had a tiny group. Sure, they, they were 3,000, and then we read in the text, they jumped to 5,000. But relative to the empire, relative to the nation of Israel, relative even to Jerusalem, they didn't have numerical power but the great thing of course is that the kingdom of god is not a democracy we're not going to vote about whether god's will comes to us we get to participate and remember it's certain but contingent and there's several other forms of power that the early church did not need it did not have economic power certainly not in the sense of other powers that were around Yet the power it did have in economics, it used. It wasn't powerless, but it made sure that that power began to serve the grace of God. Now, why do I mention political, numerical, etc.? I mention these because of the temptation we face to think that that is what we need to be powerful. We need numbers. We need people to agree with us. And we feel threatened when people are not agreeing with us. Guys, relax. We just need Jesus to agree with us. And that doesn't make us unteachable and inconsiderate or whatever. It actually opens us up to listen to people without fear. 
the other implication is that if you go after these secular forms of power, numerical, political, whatever it is, we lose our real power. You can't hold the two together. We lose our genuine boldness and confidence. We lose the power of faith to do the works of Jesus. And we lose the power of love and of grace. So here's my application. You know, sometimes when you see amazing things of courage or skill, and, 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 and this was really amazing. I mean, healing this guy was amazing. Their faith, their witness. I mean, the early church, Peter and John in this instance, I mean, it's stunning. It's beautiful. Now, sometimes when we see something that's powerful and beautiful and stunning, we kind of have that little disclaimer. Do not try this at home. You know that? So, here's the application today. Try this at home. Try this at work. Try this with your friends. Try boldness. <laughs> try faith. And try love. And, and share out of that place. Try this at home. That's the application. Try it. <laughs> go and give faith a go. Now, I need to say this. There will be huge, just like these guys, not everybody wants even an authentically powerful church. There will be huge religious, social, and cultural pressure. And these things change all the time. <sighs> not to do this. You're told that you will do great harm, even to your faith and to the faith of others, if you try this at home. And that's why some people are desperate to get back to church, because they think that's the only place these things are allowed. Of course we want to get back to church, but that's not why. The pressure we face is for us to believe, for example, about the uniqueness of Jesus, but not talk about it. Don't talk about his name. It's offensive. That's the pressure we face to put a lid on it. Don't pray for healing. Even people in the church will tell you, don't, don't do that. You're going you're to create pastoral problems. Sometimes we do face situations that we can't explain. But you do want to do what Jesus did, and you certainly want to do what Jesus told you to do. You'll be told, don't share your resources. Don't help others. You're just creating dependency. You're just becoming part of the social problem. And so the pressure we face is to not do this at home. And we've got to say no. It's precisely because of Jesus that we are going to do this wherever. But there's an even more subtle, even more sinister danger. And that is this. As, as you look at boldness in the gospel message and the uniqueness of the name of Jesus, as you look at faith to do the works of Jesus, as you look at grace and love to serve sacrificially and generously to the vulnerable, Yes, the one that the world is going to, has the most subtle thing. The world's going to tell you, pick one and champion that. That's okay. And you'll find a group of people who are willing to cheer you on. Maybe if you go for number one in the uniqueness of Jesus, it might be a smaller group, but there'll be a group of people who will cheer you on and they'll say, you've done your bit. That's what you've got to do. 
and somebody else will. You're going to go for the healing and the faith and the signs and the wonders. And, and if you do that, you're amazing. You, you have a business. And then other people, no, 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 you're after mercy and justice. Just pick one. Just pick one and make that the big thing. And that's not the power of the church. It's not. That's when we give the wrong message. That's when we miss Jesus. They've got to be together. Remember we saw at the beginning of the year, Jesus isn't an a la carte menu. We don't get to pick one. He is the whole buffet, baby. And we go after everything that he puts on the table. And so as we come to Pentecost, I want to say to you, try this at home. Say, come Holy Spirit. Don't stop praying. Don't stop pushing in. And don't just pick one. Don't go after your favorite. Don't minimize the rest. Don't reduce them on your screen. Make sure that the whole page is full of what it looks like to be a church that carries the power of Jesus. Because when we are filled with the fullness of what God has revealed, then the world will see something of Jesus. And they will see a church powerful as Jesus always intended. Try this at home. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you've awakened our hearts through the gift of your spirit. We thank you for one another, that we don't do this alone. We thank you for the revelation of the person of Jesus. And we thank you that today we get to come and open ourselves afresh again to you. <laughs> and it is not, I got it all this morning, I got it all then, I got it all when I was 20, I got it all, whatever. No, no, no. Every day is a fresh day to be filled and empowered and anointed and equipped. And so we give ourselves to you for your purposes, for a demonstration of your power, for it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen. Amen.